You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co-host, the Adam Hawkins. Adam, when you were growing up, were you considered an artist? Yeah. Really? What was your art of choice? What was your medium? My medium was certainly music. That's what I thought. You were a drummer, right? Percussion. I was a percussionist, but also a bit of a composer. Really? Ooh. What what songs would you write on the drums? That's a bit of a poser, more like. That's exactly right. Well, uh, my medium was rollerblades and <laughs> drums. <laughs> and they you, went together. Would you wear like marching drums while you would rollerblade? Yes. Now this is what a great kickoff! I didn't I'm, do any. I have such an incredible <laughs> imagination. I will not be able to shake that the rest of the day. I'm imagining like jean cut off shorts, you with like quads, uh, roller skating around some <laughs> just <park>. drumming, <laughs> just drumming for anybody who yeah. Well, Adam and I are joined in the studio today by our dear friend who comes in here often, David Roark, the producer of Culture Matters. David, how are you today? Thanks for taking some time out of producing to be on the show again. Of course. I love it. Good. I love it when you're in here with us too. <laughs> and what's even better than having David here and having Adam here and having me here is our other special guest today, Miss Elizabeth Woodson. Yay! Oh, man. Oh, man. Elizabeth, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Good. I am so glad you're here. I'm serious. I'm pumped about having you on not just one episode, okay. but two episodes. Adam, what do we call those? Two what? Eps. Two eps. <laughs> doing two eps. EPs. <laughs> two EPs. <laughs> I was swallowing water when you asked. Uh, well, on this episode, we're going to start a part of an ongoing series. It's going to go on throughout the year, which will focus on theology and how we see it in culture. So today... To start it off, we're going to start with the beginning. So we're going to look specifically at creation. Elizabeth, David, Adam, you guys ready? I am. Trying to be. Wow, energy just completely. (laughs) The floor dropped. (laughs) Well, here we go. Well, most of Culture Matters does theology a certain way, where we start with a cultural topic, then we'll connect that to the Bible and theology. And we wanted to do a series that does a little bit of the opposite. We're going to start with a theological idea and see where that comes up in culture. That's part of the reason I'm so excited to have Elizabeth Woodson here. Elizabeth is a Bible teacher, serves as a minister in the Village Church Institute. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. How long have you been on staff now at the Village? I've been on staff since April of 2018, so almost a year. Almost almost a year. almost your anniversary. Honeymoon phase. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. We all leave eventually. Oh, gosh. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, kind of. I mean, Adam, well, how'd you, you get Elizabeth? Adam leaving, so. Yeah, I planted I a church. Adam's starting a church that's kind of like a church plant. And we could really use a Bible teacher and minister at the... Never mind. Oh, is this when we're, we're just going to on-air recruitment of Elizabeth? Yeah. Uh, right. We're just going to look away. <laughs> just look away. <laughs> All right, well, let's start with uh, just a real simple understanding, especially for somebody that may not understand what we talk about when we say a theology of creation or a doctrine of creation and where that comes from. I think most people that are familiar a little bit with the Bible would think, oh, we're just going to talk about Genesis. And that's certainly a good place to start, and we can start there, but we can also go other places. What scriptures for you guys come to mind as you start to think about the doctrine of creation? What pops into your head? I'm looking at you, David. (laughs) You guys are the pastors, and she's the Bible teacher. <laughs> well, that's why. See, this is so the technique. You I'm let just other the, people I'm speak the, first, the, and then you go. Mm, I'm the uh, calm director. Why are you looking at me? Wow. 
I'll jump in. Oh, thank yay. you, Elizabeth. Yay. Bible teacher. Um, <laughs> so when I think about the doctrine of creation and really answering the question, why are we here? What's our origin? What is God yeah. doing with creating us and everything we see in this world? And so the beginning place for me, I think, is the beginning of our Bible when we see that Genesis 1 and 2 creation narrative. Um, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, this idea that he created all of what we see, all of the universe, things we know of and things that we haven't been able to discover. He created that out of nothing. Yeah. Um, you think about the Genesis 1, 26 through 28, this idea that he created us in his image and the the fullness and richness of what that means that we were created to image God yeah. um, and to reflect his character in this world. And then Genesis 2.15 um, that God created us and then put Adam and Eve in the garden. And so this place to create and cultivate, um, which I think links us to even our conversation about culture, but this understanding that God created us with purpose to dwell with us. Um, That's good. Out of love, he wanted to dwell with his creation. And we see him um, pulling that purpose throughout the entirety of scripture. And so, um, and we'll talk about kind of the idea of what it means for him to dwell with us in our brokenness and how he's redeemed us um, through Jesus Christ. But he, out of love, wanted to dwell and be with his creation. And that's the purpose for yes. which we were created to image him and to do life with him. That's fantastic. I love one of the things you said on there that I really loved is you're talking about not only the creativity of God, but the purpose of the creativity of God, the function of it. It's uh, to, in our language, we have a word like functional art where it's something artistic, but it's not just to be admired at a distance. It's to serve a function. Yeah. We have things we build that are just functional. Like I, I built some bunk beds for my kids that are just functional. They're not artistic. And we have other things that we just create. Like Adam, you compose music. You might just do that to express yourself creatively. But there are other, there's art that is supposed to serve a function or something you create functionally that is also artistic. And that's more like what God has done. Yeah. He's created in mankind in the image of God, mm -hmm. something that is both beautiful, demonstrates his creativity, but also serves his purposes and serves his functions. David, what comes to mind for you? When you think about in the Bible, talks about creation, talks about what God did in creating and why, what pops into your head? Yeah, but I guess just to sort of riff off what Elizabeth was saying, I think that you also have some New Testament passages that sort of affirm that the creation doctrine and sort of that idea that we get in Genesis. You can look at Colossians 1.16, which is, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And um, then you have like Romans 1, 8 through 20, which talks about, you know, um, it, it's actually addressing sin, but it's getting back to creation in that verse. Um, it, it's talking about just sort of uh, the state of humankind, and it's talking about for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since yeah. the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So I think that what we also get sort of in this creation uh, account is the reality that um, things, before we talk about the fall, before we think about the way that sin affects creation, there's a recognition that God created things purposefully and for good. Like, yes. And it was good. And, and then humankind was very good. So it's a recognition that there's an inherent goodness in creation. And therefore, I think that can be applied to culture, which we'll kind of get into more later. Yeah. Adam? I, th I Everything you guys are saying... Uh, for sure. And, um, you know, it's such a multifaceted 
maybe maybe the better way to say it is such a foundational doctrine. When yeah, you think about God. It sure is. Uh, God is creator. It's hard to separate that uh, idea from God. In other words, I think it's probably maybe always top of mind when when talking about God. Um, on the one hand, uh, I feel like. Um, it displays his majesty, his power, and his otherness. And on the other hand, uh, because we are created in his image, it also, um, the idea of creation, the doctor of creation, is uh, 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 the, the love of creating and the, the yep. desire to create and even culture, that's also within us because we are created in his image. Yeah. So some things, uh, some passages, I guess maybe I like to think about, um, Certainly John 1, uh, just in the beginning was the The word, word. the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and life was the light of men, the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. But I also think of these passages in the Old Testament and Isaiah, I was just reading and I don't have it in front of me anymore, but God's basically talking uh, to um, the Israelites and he's talking about using other nations and and he basically says, uh, I create um, darkness, I create light, I create mm. cl- calamity, and I create, and he's basically describing his power, yes. uh, his power to bring, um, to, to bring deliverance to his people, uh, his power to bring retribution and, um, yeah, to his people. I think about when I've been reading Job just a lot. I'm just turning it over in my mind a lot lately. You and doing th- okay? Yeah, you doing okay? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've lost everything. <laughs> no, no. I, you know, um, I, I had this, I don't know about anybody else. This is totally off topic, but I had this fear that I was going to become Job for a really long time. I don't know why. And hmm. then uh, as I've read Job, I've thought, what better person might there be to become? In other words, I think I was afraid of losing the gifts mm. that the creator had made. But if you look at the end of Job's life, he's actually found faithful. Uh, and so I've been turning over this idea in my mind, whatever, it's not, it's neither here nor there. But the reality yeah. <laughs> is there's this part in Job where Job's sort of shaking his fist at the heavens a little bit. Okay. And God sort of looks at him and says, dress for action like a man. Where were you when I hung the stars? Yeah. And he goes mm-hmm. through this sort of, this power and majesty of yes. his creation. But in that, there's the, in the rebuke is actually a, a, a softness. And, and when I've looked at it, I've, I've thought, um, the comfort that it brings to Job to know that he is actually not in control, that God is in control of his life and God is a good God and God is a God that brings deliverance and God is a God that has a purpose for all things. It's a a reminder of what, you know, it's going back to Genesis and that sort of creator creation relationship. And it's reminding, it's just, it's resetting. Like this is the way that it's supposed to be. Exactly. Exactly. So I want to share a verse too, if that's all right. I know I asked the question, but I will also now answer my question. So we talked a lot about Genesis. It always comes back to Genesis with creation. But one of my favorite verses about creation comes from Revelation, oh. which is... Oh, uh, see what he did oh. there? Yeah. Genesis to Revelation. There is uh, this point where in John's vision in the Revelation, he sees the 24 elders get down before the Lord, uh, before God and say to, say to him, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they existed and were created. And they create this picture in Revelation when all things are coming to us conclusion that the reason everything is to give glory to God is because he made it. 
And uh, I love so what you pointed out earlier, David, about the attributes we see of God in creation. We can talk more about that here in a second. But everything in creation should scream out to us our need for God, the creativity of God, the aspects of God that we see in in creation. But that verse in Revelation, knowing um, this is the throne room of God, that they would say, look at what you've done. Mm. Look at what you made. This is why you're worthy of glory. Because like you pointed out in Job, what do I have? to bring before God and complain about? What do I have to bring before God and say, what, where He, where God can say back to me, oh, did you decide where the oceans would be? Yeah. Oh, did you decide, the, you know, this animal I created? Can you even approach that animal I made? Yeah. God has done so much in creation, but what conclusions can we draw about creation from those passages? Uh, how does that relate to our understanding of our culture? What are the conclusions you draw both from seeing creation and both from the verses that we just read? What does that tell us about humanity? What does this tell us about God? Yeah, I think um, one of the big things we, you know, when we're looking at these passages, we talked a little bit about being created in the image of God. And I think one of the big sort of implications of that is the primary way that we image God is that that verse, I believe it's, uh, yeah, it's 127 talks about the image of God, Genesis 127, and then Genesis 128 says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. So yeah. There's a connection there, right? That like, because you're created in the image of God, this is what it looks like to image God. And so I think one of the big implications when we think about culture is that one of the ways that you're a human being, that you exist, one of the reasons that we were made is to create culture yes. and to create things and, you know, to sustain and move forward God's creation. Like yeah. that, like Eden was just the beginning, you yeah. know, is one way to think about that. Yeah. And uh, I love, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Mako Fujimara. He wrote a book called Culture Care, mm-hmm. and he kind of puts it in two categories uh, when he's relating the Imago Day and um, the cultural mandate. And he, he talks about it being gener- generative and generous. Like that's the way that we image God. And so generative is this idea of being fruitful, of generating new life, producing offspring, new parts, being fresh and life-giving, being constructive, expansive, affirming, bringing order. Like those are the things that we're meant to do. And those are all related to our vocations and the way that we create. And then generous is that in imaging God, we do those things out of generosity because that's if we think about, if we go back to this creation idea, God didn't create out of need. He didn't yeah, create, exactly. he created out of generosity to share. And he invited us to be a part of that. Yeah. And so I think that that's the same way he's asking us to image him Amen. in the way that we create, the way that we yeah. work so that we're not doing it for ourselves, which you can see how you can start to think about the way that sin does affect that, which that's the, yeah. the next episode that we talk about this. But, um, I think that it kind of gives us that framework. That's just so one idea. One, yeah, no, I think that really sparked something in me. I think about uh, when I first became a dad and I had my kids with me at the grocery store. I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys with your kids, but somebody said to me, oh, you're babysitting this weekend? I said, no, I'm not babysitting. These are my kids. I am their father. <laughs> and it, like, uh, But if it had been my wife, I'm sure they would have said nothing probably, but they see me with a cart full of kids and like, you're babysitting. And there's a difference between babysitting and parenting. 
And when it comes to creation, it's the same thing. I am not looking at something that uh, God didn't say, hey, just watch this for me. It's mine, but you just watch it for a little bit and don't really cultivate anything. Don't really interact with it because ultimately it's mine. Now, as a parent, I recognize God's ownership of my kids, that he loves them more than I could love them. And yet he's called me to cultivate things in them, to grow things in them, to help them flourish. And the same is true for humanity with all of creation. He's given us a role over it, a custodial role, a stewarding role, but it's not just to sit back, watch it and go, well, it's, it's God's. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to interact with it too much. It's a role to create in it and foster in it. As we've talked about these things, these verses popping up, what, what ideas you know, are stirring for you guys? Every time you talk about parenting, you just make me feel really guilty, man. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Oh Let's pull this clip out for our uh, guilt and shame episode we're doing next. Uh, <laughs> Back actually, to Job. Actually, yeah, there you go. Elizabeth, you said something that I loved and I want to hear you talk more about it, but I didn't connect it. I haven't thought about it at all, but the idea of dwelling being tied to this creation uh, doctrine or the doctrine of creation. Can you talk more about that? I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm excited about it. So, yeah, I think it's this idea that, um, you know, I think, and David talked about it, that God didn't create us about uh, out of necessity. Yeah. Right? He created us out of the overflow of his love. You know, I think if we think about the Trinity, not trying to get into the weeds. No, um, I want to. That's this is my favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's this idea that that is what defines the relationship that the Trinity has with one another is this idea of love. And mm. so out of the overflow of that, God wanted to share. Yeah. And so we see that he just wants to be in community with us. Mm. Like out of the overflow of his love, he just wanted to share that love created us. Like that's the essence of what our relationship with God is. And so you think about what it means that um, creation in some sense is hugely communal. Um, it is relational. That there's yeah. interdependence. I think sometimes we we especially in our culture we can be individualistic mm-hmm. and know that that what we create ought to be for the benefit of another. That we ought to Amen. image um, the overflow of generosity of love that God has given us in wanting to be able to dwell with us in community. That is what motivates how we create. Yes, that's so. See, th- this is why I think this is so important. I think what made me excited about it is uh, it's starting the dots get connected for me in terms of how we're supposed to be creating, right? How we're supposed to be imaging him. It's not just like God created. And so we should also be creators because we're made in his image. It's like, no, no, no. It's how he created and why he created. And there was the purpose of it. And we should also in our own creation and in our own engagement with culture uh, and maybe creating culture, we should also seek to, image the reasons for his creating right and that's so amazing to think about i think in this in the the way that it applies to culture too is that it it also the implications are that everybody's creative so we we tend to kind of think about Mm -hmm. like there are artists and people over here and then there are people over there and there's also this huge divide between like vocational ministry and then what everyone else is doing this is sort of reiterating like no like the person who's working at a power plant that's producing electricity for people to run machines and have their homes you know with with power and things like that like that is helping humanity flourish so everybody's playing a part and it doesn't sort of uh it doesn't take down the significance of what anyone's doing, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a custodian, or you are maybe an artist or a musician right. or a businessman. Like th- there is, like you are in those roles. If 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 you're 
uh, if the if it's rightly ordered, like right, we just what we were saying. If 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 you are glorifying God and you are serving others through that vocation, you're doing exactly what God wants yeah, you to do. Really good. See, I yeah. think what you're talking about there is a, a permission giving to our culture, which is really important because there is a sense in which, especially in the area of creativity, maybe this is a helpful metaphor. Like when everyone's in kindergarten. Uh, you're not encumbered by the feeling like if you're going to create art, it needs to be uh, good and appreciable by other people. Some of my kids' art is honestly, uh, subjectively terrible. I wouldn't put it in a museum or something like that. But on, if you were in a kindergarten class, you and I said modern art. <laughs> if, if you talk to a kindergarten oh, class and you said, "Who can draw me a dragon?" Every hand goes up. You talk to your Bible class, Elizabeth's mm-hmm. Bible class, you say, "Who here can draw me a dragon?" They look to like who's the most talented, mm-hmm. gifted, accurate creator, and think like, "Oh, now." creativity has been narrowed to those who are good at things. Whereas I'd like, also just like to be in that class where you ask <laughs> who, who can, can draw, draw a dragon. dragon? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a Job class. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, what, I, what I wanted to tie that back into, what you're talking about, David, is giving permission to understand the way God created you is not only to express yourselves in ways in which you are comparably better than other people at expressing yourself, creating things, but rather this is the way God made all people people, all people to cultivate, all people to be part of culture and and foster culture and create them. God made everyone in his image, not just men in his image, not just women in his image, not just one nation or people, not just Jewish people in his image. He made everyone in his image. So how does that relationship between what we've touched on some, the Imago Dei, the image of God and the cultural mandate, how are these ideas key to understanding the doctrine of creation and man's role in it? Elizabeth, what do you think? You know, I think, because when you think about Eden, it's this idea that God gave us potential. Um, and he gave it for man to cultivate and create within it. So it's not, I think, this idea that he didn't give us tables, he gave us trees. Yeah. Like, he didn't give us bread, he gave us, like, wheat. You know, so this idea that um, we're supposed to image God in in the ways that we create, that he has taken out of nothing. And so, obviously, there are limitations in what we're able to do with that. But this... um, this innate ability within us to create something new and something original, but also for the benefit of someone else. And that God has called us to do that, has mandated that we do that for the benefit of the world that we live in. And so cultivating the potential of where we are for the flourishing of those around us, Mm. both humanity and creation itself. Yeah, man, that's excellent. What do you think, Adam, when it comes to the image of God, and we talk about this doctrinal idea all the time, but now we're taking it the opposite direction, saying starting with the image of God, how does understanding the doctrine of you are created and valued because you are created in God's image, how how is that a key idea to understanding your role in existence? Well— it's it's fundamental, right? Right. Um, and I, I think it maybe goes back to some of the things we were saying before. Recognizing that you are created uh, actually gives a certain amount of freedom. Yeah. Um, uh, and here's what I mean by that. I think knowing that um, it, it, the, maybe one of the ways I can think I'm thinking about it is just thinking about it against what culture says now and the crushing weight of going, you are an accident. You're here by accident. Right. Your suffering means nothing. Your creativity means nothing. You're all of this, really. And so what are you free to do? I mean, this is like existentialism, but you're free to like be responsible for your own whatever, right? You're free to be this um, 
to create your own morals, to create your own meaning, to create your own understanding. And if you look at a lot of art, that is sometimes that's really the idea. the The height of maybe uh, creation and creating is to is just to simply express yourself. Self expression, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. just to simply express yourself. And um, there's something. Look, I'm, I don't want to just knock that idea outright. I mean, there's something that is, I think, important about being able to express yourself, about being to being able to put yourself out there and see how people respond. There's something beautiful about communicating in that way. Yeah. But there's also something really empty about that. Um, and what I guess to tie it, to come back to the question a little bit, understanding you're created, uh, I think – um, knocks you off the pedestal, mm. uh, and then gives a purpose and a direction to what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and there is a significant amount of freedom in that. I also think there's a mu- it's much more important. It makes it important. It yeah. it makes it more important. Yeah. Um, and and so I guess uh, maybe I'm being a bit abstract, but really the 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 idea that what we get to do yeah. as image bearers is image that love that comes from the overflow of dwelling with God, of being with him. Yes. Um, it, it just imbues so much meaning to all we do. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and, and it's really beautiful, you know? It's really yeah. beautiful. And it's communal. It's not, I'm not shouting into the wind. There's a mm-hmm. sense in which self-expression doesn't necessarily matter how it's received or it doesn't have to be. It doesn't net. It doesn't have to matter. And so in a sense, it's just two absurd human beings shouting at each other in a different language. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think the most beautiful things come from that that sort of merging of like who you are, the story God gave you, the gifts that you've been given, but yet it's ordered to glorify God and, you know, your creation, he's the creator. And I just think about like, man, if you think about like a chef and the food that he's creating or she's creating, you know, like it's, they're not doing it just something that tastes good to them, but they're using their gifts, their story, their experiences, Mm -hmm. their education to then create something that other people can enjoy, you know, it's just different. And I think, but when those things come together, it can be the most beautiful thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Let me bring it down to the ground just for a second before we turn the corner, uh, because I think what I you thought said, that's where we were. S- sorry. I think we were I think we were pretty high in the sky. <laughs> Cuz I think so much of what we talk about <laughs> when it comes to the image of God is uh is kind of finding our human value. Mm-hmm. Is uh, how do I find my value in this world and so that leads us into creating culture as self-expression. It, it leads to uh critiquing culture as uh puffing ourselves up. There's so much, uh, so much of what we talk about in culture comes from not understanding maybe just how valuable you are in God's eyes, but so many of the ills in culture also come from comparing our value to one another. Mm-hmm. When we talk about these topics and we talk about them all the time about yep. cultural topics, about what's broken in humanity, it is almost always about comparative value between people as if we are not all image bearers that leads to so many of our societal ills. And on top of that, one that we talk about less often, but is wrapped up in this is what is man's role in stewarding what has been given us in creation, not just with each other, but what's been given us in the environment he's given us on planet earth. And so we could certainly talk more about that. We Maybe we will here in a minute, but before we keep going, I want to take a minute to talk about our sponsor. Let's jump back in to what we were talking about. When we think about culture theologically, why do we have to start with creation? Why is that a good place to start? You're going to talk about our culture. You're going to talk about starting with theology before jumping to how our culture operates or how it's broken or how it expresses itself. Why is creation a great place to start? I think if we don't start there, our 
our picture of creation, our view of creation, it's just, it's not the complete picture. It's not true because we're going to just sort of jump to the bad news before we start with the good news. And, um, and I think you see this a lot. Um, Elizabeth and I were talking about this before we started recording. Just uh, there's this been this whole sort of group of Christians that I think they miss this doctrine mm-hmm. and they become known for what they're against in culture and not what they're for in culture. So and, and it creates a fear. So everything that you see culturally, you're just sort of afraid of. You're like, oh, man, that thing is evil and sinful and I do not want to touch it. And. Yeah, there's some wisdom in that and some discernment in that. And we'll talk more about that when we talk about the way that fall, the fall, you know, affects c- culture. But I think if you miss this doctrine, you're going to miss out on, honestly, God's good gifts. You know, like some of the things that he would love to have us enjoy and to, to worship him through these things. If, if we're so fearful of it, we're just going to miss that. Yeah. I mean, I think in to, to jump on, piggyback on that is this idea that we are responsible to create. And so yes. I think with this idea that there's a secular and sacred divide, that there are things we ought not to be involved in. We don't think critically about what our creativity means in different spheres of life, whether that is entertainment, um, the business world, government. Like, what does it look like for us to be creative in all those different spaces, imaging God, um, grounded in dwelling with him, reflecting his love and for the flourishing of humanity. And we just have this really small box. We compare, we critique, but we don't participate. We're called to cultivate and to create. And I think sometimes when we don't start at Genesis 1, we don't start with um, a good doctrine of creation. We just sit on the sidelines thinking we're not called to participate in that. Can you help me see the difference between cultivating and creating? What do you mean by those two things? So I think that's a really helpful dichotomy. These are the two things we should be creating and cultivating. Yeah. I mean, I think when I think about creating, you know, this idea of taking something out of nothing, um, creating something original with the uniqueness of what God has given me, whether yeah. my personality's gifts, life experience, and then cultivating to me is just working to, um, in some sense, whether it is to preserve the creation that has come before, um, yeah. that someone, how we build on each other in terms of creating culture, but also how things don't, it's this process of development. Um, when I think of cultivation, probably the example for me that comes to mind is just farming. And so it's mm-hmm. not an overnight process. It is this um, discipline of pouring ourselves into the work that we're doing yes. to create something beautiful. Yeah, quite literally, sometimes it's painstaking, right? It's like we do what is hard and difficult mm-hmm. in order to see things flourish or bettered or provided for. And so we do uh, we do hard work in order to take care of each other and to take care of what God's given us. I, lo- I love the responsibility piece mm-hmm. there, though, because if you think about that metaphor of field, which is what Genesis is talking yeah. about, it's like if you, do- if you leave that field or that garden untouched, it weeds will grow. It could, you know, it, mm-hmm. it will just, it will turn into dismay, you know, but then you think about our world and all the darkness that, you know, is in our world. And in the same way, it's like, we're supposed to enter into that exactly. and cultivate it. If we just kind of stand back and watch, like I feel it's just going to kind of perpetuate and grow and it's just going to be, you know, gross and evil will, will be evil. But I think that that's also like, that's the call for the Christian to get, get in the middle of it. Yes. Right. Yeah. And isn't there, there's something broken about creation as well, which is why we'll do our next episode. We'll talk about the fall and we'll get there. And you're, you're kind of taking us there already a little bit. And, uh, I, I don't want to present creation like, Hey, it's this perfect world. If you just created perfectly, all of us would be perfect Mm -hmm. artists and perfect, perfect expressors of God's image in its perfection. But in the way that we do create and in the way that we consume, the way that we use what God has made, 
How do we see this doctrine of creation play out? A little bit of what we talked about, both in humanity's value, but in, uh, in our uh, job that he's given us, our purpose that he's given us. How do you see this play out in our culture today? I, I think one of the ways that you see this play out in our culture is that you have a lot of people who um, maybe not, maybe they're not Christians, but because they're created in the image of God and because, as we were talking about, um, the glory and uh, the visible and invisible attributes of God being yeah. inherent in culture, you see the ability for people who aren't Christians to create culture that's true, good, and beautiful and reflective of the triune God. Yes. And that and that's a, that just goes back to why there's an opportunity for Christians to enjoy those good gifts and to, to kind of reclaim those things and say, this thing is good. You know, maybe a Christian didn't create it. Maybe it's a, a piece of art. Maybe it's a particular movie. Yeah. But you can recognize how the gospel and um, the attributes of God are just so woven into that particular thing. Um, yeah. That's one way that I see this doctrine sort of um, throughout culture, especially popular culture. I think specifically it as a doctrine is one of our most well-known doctrines in a secular culture that they know that we believe God created from nothing and created man with a special role flies in the face of a lot of what a secular culture might believe. And so this is an important aspect of our doctrine to understand in our culture because as young as uh, young kids will be watching shows on animals that are teaching a completely different worldview, that this is just something that happened. This is just something that came from... It was random. Yeah, accident. it was a random accident that created what we are now and our purpose is only self-imbued. You know, whereas we believe we have a creator who gave us a world to take care of, a, a function within it, and it came from nothing. While the world, the secular world may not care what we believe about how the world ends, like they don't, they may not care. They care a lot about how we believe the world began. And for a lot of them, they think we are foolish. They think we are ignorant. They think, how could you believe that something came from nothing? Because it's not, uh, it's not a scientific explanation to say that a supernatural being created and cared for everything. And now it operates with his uh, attention to every minute detail and every major event in history. He is still involved. We also don't believe in a deistic God that set everything in motion and took a step back. But our doctrine of creation also tells us not only does God have purpose, but he has ongoing purpose in our lives. So as we see culture created, we can look to God and say, what are you doing in this? Similar to what Job was saying in the midst of suffering, or I think of the beginning of Habakkuk, where he looks around and sees injustice and says, God, when will you stop this? I see violence everywhere. When will it go away? And God's response to Habakkuk in verse five of chapter one is you, even if I told you what I was doing right now with human history, you would not believe me because he was raising up their enemies to wipe out those people that he saw as allies. And, he, and God's going, my plans are not your plans, right? My plans are beyond human plans. And so he is orchestrating creation, orchestrating what's ongoing. And this is a doctrine that flies in the face of what we normally believe or what the secular culture might believe. So before we wrap up, what are some things in our culture that help that we see this, that we witness these doctrines of creation, that we witness both the creativity of man, the purpose of mankind, uh, where God started it all and where it comes from? Do you guys think of movies, TV shows, music, where we can see the inherent goodness of creation or maybe even lead us a little bit into the fall? Where do you see uh, what should be good, but it's broken and, the, and mankind's desire to see things have gone well? Um, you know, I think when I think about seeing the inherent goodness of God in, in creation and what we create through culture, one that's just always dear to my heart is music. 
yeah. my mother is a music teacher and she was a church musician. And so she was the one that kept talking to me about the secular and sacred divide. I was like, hey, that can't be because of just the beauty of Bach and Mozart and Beethoven, um, the genius of Quincy Jones and mm-hmm. Michael Jackson, and just how we use music to make sense of the world yeah. and to talk about what's happening and what am I here for and just that we celebrate because it's just good and beautiful. Yes. And God did that with his creation. At the end, he's like, this is good. This is really good. Yeah. Um, and just imaging who he is and the beauty and goodness and graciousness and upliftingness of his character for who we are. And so that one to me, I think it's easy for people to to create buckets of almost into this kind of music and not this kind of music. And obviously we have wisdom and discernment of what we let our ears um, and hearts consume. But yeah. to me, there's just so much inherent beauty and goodness yeah. and genius in what people are able to create through music. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And music as a, as a uh, cross-language creativity is something that crosses cultures. Right. And well, preferences may not all cross cultures, but the idea of creating music right. absolutely does express yeah. culture and, and expresses what God, what we have in God. What about you guys, David, Adam? Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree about music. It's probably the thing that um, I think about most when I think about creativity, maybe just because of my own story yeah. or I think about creation. <clears throat> there is a rhythmic and almost musical aspect to the way God creates the world in Genesis. Yeah. Um, and so I know that's speculative and reading <laughs> in, but I do, there is something beautiful about it. There is something poetic, right? Good. Uh, and those are all sort of things that music is able to capture. So, yeah. Um, yeah so I agree with Elizabeth. I would also just say, um, I don't know if we're looking for really specific ones, but um, man, I, you know, I, film is a place that I believe um, there's just so, it's so rich, right? Yeah. Uh, there are so many good stories. Some of them are really overt, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and most of them aren't. What's interesting is I think there are a lot of very good Christian musicians out there making really great music that um, maybe, that isn't necessarily heavy-handed as it relates to... Um, as it relates uh, to its message, to its message. Uh, a lot of it is and has this great dialogue. I'm thinking a lot about hip hop these days has really some really great. Uh, I don't know that film is the same now. There have been times in the history of film where it's true, but there might only be, you know, a, f- a handful, if that, of people making film uh, that's Christian right? Yeah. Uh, that's not super heavy handed <laughs> yeah. and like God's not dead and things like that. Sure. Um, and, but, and so I, there's a reaction I see a lot of times to, and with Christians who are like, well, I'm not going to watch any of that because it's not, you know, it's it, whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think they miss out. Um, but I would say, and I'm probably stealing from you, but I was going to say Terrence Malick, uh, in the films he's making, I think communicated a ton. I think Silence was a film that was super important that Scorsese did. Um, it's about the Japanese missionaries. About Jap- well, yes, about uh, some Catholics who were Portuguese who went to Japan, mm-hmm. um, and uh, just w- in the f- face of God's seeming silence, h- how he might be working. Anyways, there's just a lot out there in film that's really beautiful and that captures larger ideas of the eternal of of needing a hero, of all those kind of things that I think are just really, yeah, really important. Yeah, and I think, I mean, film's a good one, and you can start to think about the message, but I think just the craft itself, especially with art in general, just the craft itself to be able to create something 
that looks a certain way. Just think yes. about all the techniques of film, you know, from all the different styles of cinematography, from editing uh, techniques and things like that. I, I remember there was a, um, I think he was a French film critic, Andre Bazan, I think was his name. Um, he talked about how every sort of sequence of film was a reflection of God's glory in the Imago Day. So this, this yeah. idea that like films just, it's just one of those ones where it's really easy to see how we can co-create with God, you know, and we can, like, you literally can create this other, we know that it's not life itself, it's not reality, but we can create this sort of pseudo-reality that tells these stories that are so reflective of reality. It's just, it's yeah. a really easy example, I think, to kind of recognize that Imago Day Food is probably saying something, say that one. Yeah, saying yeah. something about me, but I would say that's an, an easy one, too, that you can, I'll let you elaborate on that. But. Well, yeah, I just think uh, food, music, film, the things that you guys have pointed out, I'll point to an aspect that's a little more ethereal that I think uh, the doctrine of creation speaks into, which is joy, and it's a delight. Mm. And there's a delight that comes with listening to music, a delight that comes with enjoying food or a good book or a good film. And a lot of it's because we resonate with this doctrine of creation. What brings me joy in listening to a song is how it makes me feel or uplifted, or what brings me joy in watching a film is how it might return me to a state of understanding things could be better or things were better in the garden, or I, a hero is provided and I want a hero and I want salvation. And these are all aspects of creativity that remind me of God's goodness, his attributes, what he created, which was good, which now is flawed, but how he is coming back again. Mm -hmm. Even the term, I think of the term Maranatha, Lord, Lord come. And I think of how often that's the, the feeling of my heart is I want things to be good. And I believe that when God created them, they were. And that he has created us not to uh, walk through life moping and woeful, saying, oh, how awful am I and how awful is our existence? But even now we get little pictures of delight. That one day I was reading in Isaiah this week, it talked about God putting a feast on a hill before people of every nation. And that just brought me great joy to think about that's our one day. That's, that's coming. And a little bit of it we get to experience now. Mm -hmm. to remember how good God is in creation. And in those moments that seem more hopeless, we get to remind each other, remember our God is the creator who made all this and it is not without purpose, no matter how dark the circumstance, no matter how awful the thing is that has happened to you or around you or in you, there is hope and there is purpose in all of it. If there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website, Today's episode was produced by David Roark and edited and mixed by Chris Starrett. See you next time. God bless. Thank you for listening.